Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Friday, October 20th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topsher with today's headlines. The U.S. temporarily lifts Venezuelan oil sanctions. Biden secures aid for Gaza. Representative Jim Jordan presses on with his House Speaker bid. Ex-Trump lawyer Sidney Powell pleads guilty in the Georgia election case. The UK's MI5 warns of an epic scale of Chinese espionage. Russia detains an American journalist. Nicaragua releases 12 jailed Catholic priests to the Vatican. Texas installs a razor wire barrier along its border with New Mexico. China joins an IAEA survey over the release of water from Japan's Fukushima nuclear plant. And Pfizer more than doubles the price of its COVID medication, Paxlovid. The U.S. lifts Venezuela oil sanctions for six months. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters. ABC News, the U.S. Department of the Treasury, Oil Price, and The Washington Post. On Wednesday, the Biden administration announced the lifting of an array of sanctions on Venezuela's oil and gas sector, allowing the country to temporarily produce and export the resources without restrictions. The announcement follows the Venezuelan government and the U.S.-backed opposition's decision to hold presidential elections in the second half of 2024, following the resumption of talks after a nearly year-long hiatus. Welcoming the deal between the warring sides, the Treasury granted a six-month general authorization for transactions in Venezuela's oil and gas sector and a separate license for dealings with the state-run gold mining company, Minervin. The Treasury also amended two key licenses, lifting the ban on secondary trading in certain Venezuelan sovereign bonds, along with debt and equity shares of state-controlled oil company PDVSA. The ban on trading in the primary market for Venezuelan bonds remains effective. The Treasury added that some or all newly issued licenses could be revoked should the Maduro government fail to follow through on the agreed electoral framework. According to analysts, Venezuela's oil output could climb by 25 percent after the easing of sanctions. Also on Wednesday, the first U.S. deportation flight to Venezuela carrying about 130 migrants landed in Caracas. Over 7 million citizens have fled Venezuela, which holds the world's largest proven oil reserves, due to a deep economic crisis compounded by oil sanctions. On this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Melissa laid out the facts, and our first narrative spin is the establishment critical narrative from Venezuela analysis. The lifting of key U.S. sanctions is a significant success for the Maduro government and the sovereignty of Venezuelans. After years of failed attempts to destabilize the country, Washington has finally come to its senses, partly due to the U.S. migration crisis and rising global energy costs. However, while easing economic sanctions aimed at paralyzing the country's economy is a significant first step, the Venezuelan people are demanding their complete removal. Caracas will continue to fight for Venezuela's right to a self-determined future. The pro-establishment narrative comes from the Washington Post. That the U.S. has eased sanctions on Venezuela due to negotiations with Caracas is an intelligent move by the Biden administration. Washington's offer was crucial in getting the Maduro government to agree with the opposition on a roadmap for elections and releasing wrongfully detained U.S. citizens. 
If Caracas wants to avoid the re-imposition of sanctions, it must now ensure fair and competitive elections. The U.S. will closely monitor developments and continue to advocate for human rights and democracy in Venezuela. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction Community. This time they say there's a 40% chance there will be a civil war in Venezuela before the year 2050. Biden secures aid for Gaza and reportedly authorizes an Israeli ground invasion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Times of London, Washington Examiner, the Associated Press, and The Guardian. Prior to departing Tel Aviv on Wednesday, U.S. President Joe Biden publicly appealed to Israel, urging it not to be consumed with rage in its response to the October 7th Hamas attacks. Comparing Israel's situation to that faced by America in the years after the 9-11 attacks, Biden said that Washington sought and got justice but also made mistakes. Biden also pleaded with Israel to consider the plight of Palestinian civilians. The Palestinian people are suffering greatly as well, Biden said, and we mourn the loss of innocent Palestinian lives like the entire world. The The people of Gaza need food, water, medicine, and shelter. As Biden left Israel and returned to Washington on Air Force One, the leader spoke with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. El-Sisi had previously ordered the closure of Egypt's border crossing with Gaza, following three Israeli airstrikes between October 9th and October 10th. However, after discussion with Biden, he agreed to reopen the border to allow the flow of humanitarian aid. Biden said that of roughly 150 trucks of humanitarian aid waiting at the Rafah crossing, the border would open to 20 trucks to begin with. He added that work is also required to restore the roads, meaning aid would not reach Gaza before Friday. As Biden departed Israel following hours of talks with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his war cabinet on Wednesday, Netanyahu's office released a statement in which it said Israel would not foil the supply of humanitarian aid via Egypt. Additionally, according to a report in the Times of London, Biden is said to have privately given his backing for an Israeli ground invasion of Gaza. The president was quoted telling Netanyahu that the U.S. remained fully in support of Israel's plans to launch an incursion in order to, quote, eradicate Hamas. In the only public comments since Biden's departure, Israel showed no indication of plans to back down. The country's foreign minister, Eli Cohen, told Army Radio on Wednesday, At the end of this war, not only will Hamas no longer be in Gaza, but the territory of Gaza will also decrease. Okay, we have a long list of spins here. We'll start with a pro-establishment narrative from The Guardian. At a time when further violence could erupt in the Middle East, Biden's visit to Israel showed great statesmanship and composure while standing close to Israel as an ally. Biden reminded the country of its obligations as a democracy and facilitated the delivery of humanitarian aid. The establishment critical narrative comes from the Times of London. Despite his public comments about the necessity of protecting Palestinians, by secretly giving his backing for an Israeli ground invasion, Biden has sold out the innocent civilians living in Gaza who are relying on U.S. diplomacy for protection and ceasefire. Here's the pro-Israel narrative from the Times of Israel. Though Biden's visit, which drew on U.S. experiences after the 9-11 attacks, has warned Israel not to let rage dictate its response to the Hamas attacks, Washington evidently believes Israel's current military reaction is proportionate. Biden clearly said that justice must be done, 
and has firmly backed Israel's right to go to war against Hamas. And the Associated Press counters with a pro-Palestine narrative. Irrespective of politics, the Gaza Strip is still being bombarded by the Israeli military. As of Thursday, nearly 3,500 had been killed and over 12,000 were wounded. A further 1,300 remain trapped under the rubble. All of this chaos is occurring under a complete blockade that's lasted 11 days. The most pressing issue now is that the Gaza Strip is in desperate need of humanitarian aid. And here's a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 50% chance that Israel will lift the blockade on electricity, food, gasoline, and medicine in Gaza by December 13, 2023. You know, I always think of like what's going in. So hopefully this road from Egypt to, to Gaza is going to be un, uh, is going to be supported and unobstructed and not bombed. If people if they could just fly in like a camping water filter for everyone who lives there, everyone who's still there gets one of these water filter, then, you know, they can drink from all kinds of other supplies, you know. I mean, they could just turn the water on, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a certain amount of cruelty with giving someone a camping water filter in the desert. So here's this. <laughs> Enjoy this oh, special sa- straw. It's, I say that because, <laughs> because there was there was reports on like they're drinking any water they can find, like they're yeah. going to the sea. And, uh, yeah, yeah. How do those things? So those special straws that like you buy at, at REI, what is happening there? What's what's the magic happening in those filtering straws? Uh, I don't know if it's like a carbon filter. If there's a little something something extra in there, so they just put good vibes in the straw, and you're supposed to drink through it, and that's, <laughs> and that's, that's supposed to work. Yeah. Okay. Those filters can. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like your Brita. Your Brita can filter out, uh, or uh, maybe it's a step up. I think Brita can too. But I think even a lot of home filters, it's not a reverse osmosis or anything, but it, it can filter out heavy metals, yeah, uh, which is great, and bacteria, which is okay. great. And, you know, that might be all you need, you know, right. to survive a war, I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Representative Jim Jordan presses on with his House Speaker bid. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the New York Times, the Washington Post, Associated Press, CNN, BBC News, and Forbes. On Thursday, U.S. Representative Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, confirmed that he would seek a third round of voting on his House Speaker bid after having lost two separate votes earlier this week. This marks a reversal from earlier reports on Thursday that Jordan had agreed to temporarily pause his House Speaker bid and instead support a proposal to empower Speaker pro tempora Patrick McHenry, Republican of North Carolina, until January. He lost a first round of voting on Tuesday when 20 Republicans voted against Jordan, who accumulated a total of 200 votes for his speakership one more than Wednesday's vote, which saw 22 Republicans side against him. Though it's unclear when Jordan plans to call a third vote, he's expected to meet with the 22 Republicans who opposed him later in the day. However, according to CNN, which cited anonymous sources, some of the holdouts have refused to engage with him. A majority of 217 is needed for Jordan or any other candidate to be elected speaker. The House has now remained without a speaker for 16 days after Representative Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, was removed in an unprecedented vote. Fifteen rounds of voting were necessary to appoint McCarthy as speaker in January this year. 
Without a speaker, the House is unable to pass legislation, including packages to Ukraine and Israel, as well as an agreement on federal government funding in order to avoid a shutdown next month. A healthy dose of narrative spin on this story as well, Melissa, the Democratic narratives from MSNBC. While Democrats continue to hold their arm out for a bipartisan solution, Republicans continue to ignore the severe reality of the chamber situation, continuing to play party politics. The House must go back to work, and far-right nominees such as Jordan, a Trump apologist, will get nowhere in speaker elections. For the House to get back up and running again, Republicans must compromise. The National Review brings us a Republican narrative. Jordan appears to have only lost more ground in the last 24 hours. While the congressman has attempted to convince his party that it's time to unite after weeks of political uncertainty, there's a significant portion of Republicans who have not yet yielded. While Jordan will continue to rally fellow members of the House, other options within the party should certainly not be dismissed from consideration. The conservative narrative comes from My Truth News. The 22 Republicans who voted against Jordan aren't doing so out of their duty to the institution or love of country. They're warmongering rhinos who long for the days of George Bush's presidency. This was proven by their decision to vote for John Boehner, a former speaker and member of the old class of neoconservatives. Unfortunately for them, however, the country has changed and so has the party. Here's a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 13% chance that Jim Jordan will be elected Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives following Kevin McCarthy's removal. Trump co-defendant Powell pleads guilty. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Reuters, The Associated Press, and USA Today. Sidney Powell, an election lawyer and a co-defendant with former President Donald Trump in the Georgia election conspiracy case, on Thursday became the second co-defendant in the case to plead guilty. Powell pleaded guilty to six misdemeanor counts of conspiracy to commit interference with election duties as part of the attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. She will serve six years of probation and face a $6,000 fine in addition to having to pay $2,700 restitution to the state. Powell, whose plea came one day before she and co-defendant Kenneth Chesbrough were scheduled to go on trial, has also agreed to testify against Trump and 16 other co-defendants. Powell had initially been charged with racketeering and six other counts related to the plot to keep Trump in power. She was also accused of breaching election equipment in rural Georgia. Last month, Scott Graham Hall, a bail bondsman, was the first defendant in this case to plead guilty. He was sentenced to five years of probation and also agreed to testify against the other defendants. As you may have guessed, there are some politically opposed narratives on this story. We'll start with the anti-Trump spin from the New York Times. This is bad news for Trump and his co-defendants. Very few did more to promote the former president's false theories about fraud in the 2020 election. And yet Powell has now turned on him. She frequently visited the White House and had more interactions with the higher-ups of the Trump administration than any other co-defendant. So she must know damaging information that's in the public's interest. Daily Wire counters with a pro-Trump narrative. Everyone knows Powell, one of the biggest spreaders of 2020 election conspiracy theories, is detached from reality. Her lies were too much for Trump to believe, and he fired her. 
So now that she's agreed to testify and return for a lenient sentence, her far-fetched theories will be incredible and ungrounded. Accordingly, the former president has little to fear from any potential outlandish allegations. And there's inert narrative. This one says there's a 50% chance that Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030. That comes from the Metaculous Prediction Community. The head of MI5 warns of an epic scale of Chinese espionage. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Times of India, The Independent, Ground News, The Guardian, and BBC News. The British intelligence agency MI5 has warned that China has increased its espionage network in the UK, stating that more than 20,000 people in the country have been covertly approached online by Chinese spies on websites such as LinkedIn. The British intelligence chief spoke at an event hosted by the FBI in California, alongside other chiefs from the Five Eyes Group, the U.S., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Security heads of the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance have issued a warning to tens of thousands of British businesses concerning the risks of having their industrial secrets stolen, saying that advanced research is being targeted. MI5 chief Ken McCallum said that industrial espionage was happening at a real scale and that as many as 10,000 UK businesses were at risk, particularly in fields where China is trying to gain an advantage, including AI, quantum computing, and synthetic biology. Last year, MI5 dealt with over 20 cases of Chinese companies trying to access sensitive technology developed by UK companies and universities. McCallum has further warned that the theft of research and cutting-edge fields such as AI could lead to authoritarian states utilizing technologies to interfere with Western politics. FBI Director Chris Wray said at the same event that China has made economic espionage and stealing others' work and ideas a central component of its national strategy. Commenting, there are currently more than 2,000 active FBI investigations linked to China. Ray also described the threat of Chinese espionage as existential. BBC News brings us Narrative A. While all nations engage in espionage, China does so on an unprecedented scale. Beijing needs to stop stealing industry secrets from foreign companies and research universities and instead focus on its own innovation. The threat of Chinese espionage is rising and its consequences are becoming more dangerous. Here's Narrative B from The Economist. While many global politicians and security experts have warned of the threat of Chinese espionage, the reality is that Chinese spies are not as effective as they think they are. China's focus on defense and technological and corporate secrets comes at the expense of insight into decision-making in foreign capitals. The country has focused too much on the wrong things and is far behind in spy tradecraft, recruitment, and foreign assets. Chinese espionage is not as advanced as some experts have warned. And Metaculus makes another nerd narrative prediction. There's a 50% chance there will be at least 132 surveillance cameras per 1,000 people in the most surveilled city in China in 2023. You remember when uh, you you told me you got that LinkedIn that you know it said, "Hey Scott, are you looking for a, a job as a CEO of a, an AI firm?" Yes, and you were very excited. Oh yeah. How did that turn out? Well, I mean, I'm still waiting on the paperwork to come through. I feel I'm optimistic, if you must know. Okay, okay. 
be pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm a, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a I'm a bit of a unicorn. <laughs> Russia detains American journalist Alsu Kormasheva. Here are the facts. As agreed upon by Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, CBS News, The Moscow Times, Reuters, and BBC News. Alsu Kormasheva, a Russian-American editor for Radio Free Europe, Radio Free Liberty, or RFERL in Prague, has reportedly been detained after visiting family in the Russian city of Kazan. The U.S.-funded broadcaster said Kermesheva was arrested for failing to register as a foreign agent. Kermesheva reportedly traveled to Russia on May 20th for a family emergency. The New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists, citing outlet Tatar Inform, said Russia is accusing Kermesheva of deliberately conducting a targeted collection of military information in order to transmit information to foreign sources, as well as being part of information campaigns discrediting Russia. Russia in 2020 designated RFERL as a foreign agent. Kermesheva was previously briefly detained in June when her passports were confiscated. Kermesheva's charges carry a maximum sentence of five years. RFERL stated that the dual U.S. and Russian citizen was detained October 18th while awaiting the return of her passports. This follows Russia's detention in March of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gerskovich, who was arrested and accused of spying. Thank you, Scott, for the facts. Here are the narrative spins, starting with an anti-Russia narrative from PBS NewsHour. Russian President Vladimir Putin continues to undermine media freedom in order to bury the truth about his war on Ukraine. Journalists have always been censored, but now they're being detained on erroneous charges. True Russian democracy will never be achieved without a free press informing its citizens about what's happening. And as a pro-Russia narrative from RT, RFERL was created by Washington to spread Cold War anti-communist propaganda in the USSR and its Eastern Bloc allies. These operations have continued after the fall of the Soviet Union, and individuals working for such foreign agents are allowed into Russia, assuming they abide by a legal process. Kermesheva failed to take part in her basic legal requirements and has consequently and clearly violated Russian law. And here's another nerd narrative saying there's a 15% chance of a U.S.-Russia war before 2050. There is something exciting about being a foreign journalist or like a war photographer or something. I don't have what it takes to do that, but I I can definitely see how someone would be despite the danger, possibly because of the danger, would be attracted Mm. to being that kind of a, a person. Yeah, it's definitely always a very international type person, maybe someone who's been raised in multiple countries or has that kind of excitement for languages yeah. and, and has that ex- the thrill for social justice. And uh, and you get so. to wear like a khaki vest with a bunch of pockets on it, I feel like. Like that's, oh, that's yeah. a big draw. You know, That's a huge draw. Nicaragua releases 12 Catholic priests to the Vatican. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, ABC News, The Catholic Review, and The National Catholic Reporter. Following productive talks with the Vatican as well as with Catholic leaders in the country, Nicaragua announced Wednesday that it had released a dozen Catholic priests who were jailed on various charges, sending them to Rome. The government said the deal, which the Vatican confirmed on Thursday, showed its permanent will and commitment to find solutions. 
The released clergymen will be taken in and housed in buildings owned by the Diocese of Rome. Among those released were several priests who were held under house arrest at a seminary during the first nine days of October, before they were sent to El Chipote Prison on October 15th. The allegations against the priests ranged from child abuse, threatening others with a weapon, and undermining national sovereignty, among others. This follows a 2022 agreement between Nicaragua and the U.S. in which 222 prisoners were stripped of their citizenship and sent to America on a two-year visa, including five priests, a deacon, two seminarians, and two media professionals employed by the Diocese of Matagalpa. Spain has offered to give them citizenship. President Ortega, the leftist leader who has been in power since 2006, has cracked down on the church since 2018 social security cuts triggered massive protests that he deemed a coup attempt. His government in August seized property and assets belonging to the Jesuit-run Central American University, with the UN claiming it was also among 27 institutions to lose its legal status in Nicaragua in recent years. Catholic News Agency brings us the pro-establishment narrative. Ortega's dictatorship has been ripping apart Nicaragua and its democratic institutions for a long time, but his recent treatment of Catholics has reached a new low. Some 200 attacks against Catholic people and their institutions have been reported in the country since 2018, while the church seeks to bring about peace. Alongside the Pope, the international community must step in to prevent this persecution. Here's the establishment critical narrative from El País. Through its willingness to release political prisoners while receiving nothing in return, Ortega has shown that his only goal here is to rid his country of traitors. The word negotiation makes it seem as if these are prisoner exchanges or that the U.S. lifted sanctions in return, but in reality, those who oppose Ortega have given nothing while the Nicaraguan government has handed over hundreds of people. And the nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's a 50% chance that the Catholic Church will elect a new pope by June of 2025. Texas is installing razor wire along its New Mexico... Texas is installing... Texas to install razor wire along its New Mexico border. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Dallas Morning News, the Texas Tribune, The Hill, Daily Caller, ABC News and Caller Times. Texas Governor Greg Abbott recently announced on X, formerly known as Twitter, that a razor wire barrier is being built on the New Mexico border, the latest step in his Operation Lone Star, claiming that migrants have illegally crossed from Mexico into New Mexico before heading to Texas to circumvent barriers around El Paso. The two-mile-long barrier, which has been deployed in recent weeks by the Texas National Guard, consists of two rows of concertina wire, strung between metal poles running through an urban area west of Interstate 10 near Mount Cristo Rey. This comes as Abbott told a conservative audience last month that border barriers would have to be built between Texas and New Mexico, in addition to those erected between Texas' southern border, to successfully stop all unlawful entries into the state. Since Operation Lone Star was launched in 2021, the state has allocated about $10 billion for the border security initiative. Abbott has recently urged lawmakers to approve additional measures to crack down on human smuggling and to increase penalties for illegally entering Texas from Mexico. 
The Republican governor has been at odds with President Joe Biden's administration regarding immigration and border security with an ongoing federal lawsuit against Abbott for the 1,000-foot floating barrier installed along the Rio Grande near Eagle Pass still pending. Meanwhile, the Daily Caller on Thursday reported, citing internal U.S. Border Patrol data, that illegal immigration at the southern border hit a new September record this year with 218,777 encounters. Apprehensions during the fiscal year 2023, which ended in September, surpassed 2 million. Thank you, Scott. We'll begin this round of spins with a Republican narrative from the Western Journal. A wide gap in the steel barrier along the U.S.-Mexico border has allowed illegal immigrants to easily cross into Sunland Park, New Mexico, and later walk over to El Paso, Texas. As the Biden administration fails to secure America's southern border and halt illegal immigration, Texas has been left with no other choice but to take this matter into its own hands once again. And the Democratic narrative comes from Newsweek. This latest political stunt to deprecate immigrants is outrageously unconstitutional, as this concertina wire barrier limits free movement between U.S. states violating the rights of Americans. Once again, Abbott has come up with an idea that provides no real long-term solution to the current southern border crisis. And here's another nerd narrative from Metaculus, saying there's a 50% chance that at least 9% of the U.S. population will live in Texas in the next census. Well, if there's one thing Texas is good at, it's taking matters into its own hands, let me tell you that. That's that lone star spirit. I mean... Yeah, a, a a renegade spirit mixed with barbed wire. I mean, this is this is Texas, right? I mean, this is it. <laughs> in a nutshell, yeah. I mean, that's how it came to be, right? We stole it, and now no one else can steal it. <laughs> Speaking of nutshells in Texas, so at Texas Roadhouse, they give out those peanuts. Oh yeah. Is that have anything to do with Texas? Is like peanuts deeply ingrained in what? Texas culture? No, What's going on? I thought on that there? was a Mardi Gras thing. I thought that was like a you know you, you throw the shells on the ground. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. So they they just decided they like peanuts. That there's no like deep grained Texas relationship with giving out peanuts at your restaurant. Yeah, that, I thought peanuts were a Virginia thing. Uh, Virginia peanuts aren't those boiled peanuts or something? Is that that's a uh, yeah that's that, a thing. That's a certain type of thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, you yeah. only live in peanut centric areas. That that's that's, that's your that's your that's deal. my basis. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you coming only... to Washington was like right. my family yeah. was like, what are you doing? Right, your red. Do they line even is have peanuts. peanuts? Right, right. I don't know if Washington maybe you're has like peanuts. Melissa Peanut Seed. You're trying to spread the good word about peanuts to places <laughs> that don't have them. Ah, uh, that's a funny name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do peanuts have seeds? I think peanuts are seeds. China joins the IAEA survey over Fukushima's water. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Nippon, Reuters, IAEA, the Anadolu Agency, and Kyodo News. China joined an IAEA-led radiation examination of fish that had been unloaded at a port in Japan's Fukushima. Previously, the Chinese Foreign Ministry had mooted the IAEA's role in monitoring water discharge from the country's Fukushima nuclear plant which was compromised by a major earthquake and subsequent tsunami in 2011. The agency's team of experts will observe the concentrations of radionuclides in samples of seawater, marine sediment, and fish in the plant's vicinity. 
This comes after China last month contested the IAEA's monitoring of Japan's wastewater discharge, claiming it was neither mandated by the body's board of governors nor fully discussed by member states. The PRC has been a strong opponent of Japan releasing the Fukushima nuclear plant's treated wastewater, which contains tritium, a radioactive material, into the ocean. Beijing has imposed a blanket ban on Japanese seafood imports while urging Tokyo to halt the plan to discharge what it deemed nuclear-contaminated water. Thanks, Melissa. Narrative A comes from the BBC. Japan is treating the ocean as its private sewer. Besides the fact that the UN human rights experts alongside environmentalists have opposed the plan to release the contaminated water, public opinion in Japan is deeply averse to the idea. There isn't enough scientific understanding or technological capability to ensure this move would be harmless. Here's Narrative B from Japan Forward. The system Japan has used to treat the water in Fukushima leaves only tritium, which emits extremely weak radiation and doesn't impact the environment. Yet China has been running a smear campaign against Japan and its fisheries products. The IAEA's latest test will only back Japanese assurances to the world, and therefore, China must roll back its rhetoric. And the Metaculous Prediction community predicts with this nerd narrative that there's a 27% chance there will be a major nuclear accident before the year 2030. I mean, I think I'm with Japan on this one, that it's probably fine, but also I'm with China on this one, that it's probably fine. <laughs> I, I, I similarly agree. I think I'm with Japan on like, hey, don't start a smear campaign until you find the results. But also, why did you release it then if you didn't do that test first? That I mean, I, I me. think the argument is we have to we can't hold this water forever. We've they've already been holding it for what was it uh, like 2011, 10, 10, 10 right? years. Yeah. So they've, they've been holding it for over 10 years and you got to let this water out eventually. And it's not going to get any better. This is as good as it's going to get. So we're going to let it out. Right. Um, so that's the that's the reason. That's the pro. Let's do But I this. think there's an optics thing here. I mean, well, the, the thing is, like, there's so many unintended consequences. You know, like, oh, we're going to replace CFCs with the other one. And it turns out that's worse. Like, okay, great job, everybody. <laughs> um, like, and the intention was to do a good thing with that, and and it was wrong. And this isn't—I'm sure the intention is to do right by everybody here, but yeah. there's just always this like big hole of stuff that we don't know that we don't understand. Yeah. That's the real—that's my hesitation. However, if you treated every single thing like that, then you never get anything done ever, you know, because then you just true. be so. So I don't know. It's it's, uh, but I don't. I'm not going to be the first person to like take a big glass of seawater in Japan and and, and drink it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so there you, you go. If you have your filtration straw, you'll be fine. Pfizer more than doubles the price of Paxlovid. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, ABC News 8, Pocatello, Idaho, and CNBC. Pfizer will more than double the cost of COVID antiviral medication Paxlovid as the U.S. transitions out of what it classifies as the emergency phase of the pandemic. Before insurance, the cost will be $1,390 for a five-day course of Paxlovid. This is 2.6 times higher than the $530 per course price paid by the U.S. government as it provided the drug to patients for free up to this point. 
Pfizer has said that the new list price does not necessarily reflect the price a patient will pay and that the company is working on health insurance arrangements that would provide very low out-of-pocket costs to patients who qualify. The government previously purchased and distributed Paxlovid to the public for free since the U.S. Food and Drug Administration first authorized the treatment in December 2021. Starting in 2024, Pfizer will sell the drug directly to health insurers. The price change comes as the U.S. transitions from a government-subsidized system from the pandemic to a more traditional commercial pharmaceutical marketplace. COVID vaccines had a similar increase in price when they went through a similar transition to a commercial market, with prices quadrupling at the end of the process. Those were the facts. Here are the narrative spins. We'll start with the pro-establishment narrative from the Wall Street Journal. Paxlovid is a valuable medication, and Pfizer deserves to be compensated fairly. The updated list price reflects the drug's important role in helping to reduce COVID hospitalizations and death. COVID is still around, but thankfully, much has changed over the past few years. A transition to a regular healthcare marketplace for this drug is in the best interest of the consumer. And the establishment critical narrative comes from WBAL-TV NBC11 Baltimore. Doubling the cost of Paxlovid is blatantly big pharma price gouging. The drug was a breakthrough in the fight against COVID and likely saved many lives, and raising the cost will put a hurdle in the way of many people who need access to it. Given issues with insured and underinsured populations, this is bad news for many with COVID still circulating in the American population. And the nerds have the last word again from the Metaculous Prediction community, saying there's a 50% chance that COVID-19 will be eradicated by March 2088. Melissa, you've had COVID before. You might have it right now. Have you tried Paxlovid? Nah. Me neither. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Friday, October 20th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. To find out more about Verity, visit our website, verity.news, or download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Verity. Verity.